Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello everyone, I'm Julie, and here we have episode 263 of Forgotten Classics, where we are awfully close to winding up The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard. First, though, let's talk about our podcast highlight, and believe it or not, I actually have a podcast highlight this week. You may laugh, because it's not the kind of podcast I normally would listen to. It's the Maritime History Podcast, and you think, gee, history of sailing, super fun. And I'm not going to lie, what pulled me in actually was the really great graphic for the podcast. And if you do nothing else, you really have to go look at that graphic. It's the best old-timey ship on a map I've ever seen. Luckily... When I tried it, I really was surprised to find I enjoyed it. Brandon Hubner is a historian who does writing about history, and he's also doing some further studying past his basic degree, and he loves history podcasts. And he wanted to do one of his own, and he was looking around to find a subject that hadn't already been covered, because as we know, amateur historians, also professionals, but definitely amateurs, are really covering a lot of areas and covering them pretty well. So he settled on maritime history. And of course, what you wind up discovering is that the ocean, she touches all. (laughs) And while going through history chronologically, looking at the development of boats and sailing and leaving sailing on rivers and going to sailing along coastlines and then sailing across the ocean, you, of course, are dipping into some of the biggest parts of history anyway. Now, there are only three episodes so far. We've begun with the Ubaid people, moved on to the Sumerians, and the last episode is now about the Mesopotamians. All these episodes are between 15 to 25 minutes And I have been enjoying them a lot. For example, the first episode made me actually stop and think about what do you build boats out of if you don't have wood? Well, if you have 15 foot long reeds and some mud, you can get started. And then later when you find, if I say it right, bitumen, you've got a tarry substance you can use. And I thought, wow, how ingenious of these people. I loved that. I'll read you the description. The Maritime History Podcast is a chronological look at maritime history and its numerous facets. Beginning with ancient history, the podcast looks at trade, exploration, boat and shipbuilding, economics, and the relationship between the ocean and the development of society and culture throughout history. It is a noble effort so far and definitely worth your time if you want to give it a try. And I'm going to be listening to it going on into the future. So it's not something I just listened to to make sure it was okay for you guys. And now back to our own story, where the most recent mention of water also involved a giant crocodile, 300 years old, worshipped as a god. A little more colorful than maritime history, I think we'll agree. So where we left everyone, we have not heard from Otter who was busy exploring. We know that Leonard is trussed up like a chicken for the oven, and he has been held over Juana's head in order to make her marry Olfan, but she neatly turned the tables on Nam and Soa, and now Soa has been forced to open the door so they can get Leonard out. That's where we left it. What will happen next? Let's dive in. And I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 36 How Otter Came Back After he had rested a while at the bottom of the glacier, Otter set to work to explore the cliff on top of which he found himself, with the view of descending it and hiding at its foot until nightfall when he hoped to find means of re-entering the city and putting himself in communication with Ulfan. Very soon, however, he discovered that if he was to return at all, he must follow the same route by which he had come. 
Evidently the tunnel sloped upwards very sharply, for he was standing on the brow of a precipice cut into three steps, which, taken together, may have measured some three hundred feet in height, and so far as he could see, it was utterly impossible to descend any of these cliffs without the aid of ropes. Nor could he continue his investigations over a wide area, for about four hundred paces to the left of the opening to the subterranean passage, whereof, by the way, he was very careful to note the exact position. The mountain pushed out a snowy shoulder, with declivities so precipitous that he dared not trust himself on them. Then he tried the right-hand side, but with no better luck, for here he was stopped by a yawning rift in the rock. Now Otter sat down and considered the situation. The day was still young, and he knew that it would be foolish to attempt escape from the pool before dark. In front of him, the mountain rose steeply, till, so far as he could judge, it reached a pass which lay some two miles off, at the base of that main peak, on whose snows the priests had watched the breaking of the dawn. Part of this declivity was covered with blocks of green ice, but here and there appeared patches of earth on which grew stunted trees, shrubs, and even grass and flowers. Being very hungry, it occurred to Otter that he might find edible roots among this scanty vegetation. With this hope he began to climb the slope, to be rewarded in due course by the discovery of a vegetable that he recognized, for it was the same which had been offered to him on the occasion of his unlucky outbreak that had resulted in the casting away of the rubies. With this poor food the dwarf filled himself, and having found a bough that made him an excellent staff, he continued his climb, desiring to see what there might be on the other side of the neck. Arriving there without any great difficulty, Otter stood astonished, although he was not much given to the study of scenery. Below him lay the City of the Mist, with its shining belt of rivers that, fed from the inexhaustible mountain snows, meandered across the vast plains, now no longer hidden in mist, which they had trodden on their journey. Above his head the mighty peak towered thousands of feet into the air, until it ended in a summit shaped like a human finger pointing eternally to the heavens. Before him the scene was even stranger, made up as it was of snowy fields broken by ridges of black rock, and laid one beneath the other like white sails drying upon the slope of a sandhill. Gradually, as the eye traveled downward, these snowfields grew fewer and fewer, till at last they vanished altogether, and their place was taken, first by stretches of grassland, and finally, at the foot of the mountain, by what seemed to be a rich and level country interspersed with clumps of bushes and forest trees. The first of these patches of snow lay within five furlongs of where the dwarf stood, but several hundred feet below him. Between the neck of the pass and this snow stretched a mighty rift or chasm, with sides so sheer that no goat could have kept a footing on them. Yet this gulf was not without its bridge, for a rock wall rose from the bottom of the chasm, forming the bed of a glacier which spanned it from side to side. In some places the wall was comparatively level, and in others it showed descents sharp as those of a waterfall. This remarkable bridge of ice, that varied from a hundred paces to a few yards in width, was bordered on either side by the most fearful precipices, while just where its fall was sheerest and its width narrowest, it seemed to spring across a space of nothingness like the arch of a bridge thrown from bank to bank of a river. Indeed, at this point its line became so attenuated that in the glittering sunlight Otter was doubtful whether it was not broken through for a distance of some yards. Being of an inquiring mind, the dwarf decided to satisfy himself upon the matter. All around him lay slabs of rock, some of which were worn perfectly smooth and to the thinness of a tombstone by centuries of polishing in the iron jaws of glaciers. Selecting one of these of convenient size, Otter approached the edge of the bridge, pushing the stone before him over the frozen snow. Here the ice was perfect, except for a slight hoar-frost that covered it, for the action of the wind prevented the snow from gathering on the bridge, 
and whenever the sun was strong enough to melt its surface, it froze again at night, so that no slide upon a parish pond could have been more slippery or free from inequalities. Otter gave his stone a push, and away it went, sometimes swiftly and sometimes at a trifling speed, according to the nature of the angle down which it passed, leaving a bright green ribbon upon the ice in its wake, whence it swept the hoarfrost as it sped. Once or twice he thought that it was going to stop, but it never did stop. At length it approached the steepest and narrowest part of the descent, down which the stone rushed with fearful velocity. "'Now I shall see whether the bridge is broken,' thought Otter. And just then the rock, traveling like an arrow, came to that portion of the glacier where, for width difficult to estimate, it stretched unsupported over space and measured only some few feet across. On it flew, then seemed to leap into the air, and once more sped forward till it reached the further slope of snow, up which it traveled for a distance, and stopped appearing even to Otter's keen sight no larger than a midge upon a tablecloth. Now, if a man had been seated on that stone, he might have passed this bridge in safety, said Otter to himself. Yet it is one that few would care to travel, unless sure death were behind them. Then he determined on a second trial, and selecting another and somewhat lighter stone, he sent it upon its journey. It followed precisely the same course as its predecessor, but when it came to the knife-blade of the bridge, it vanished. "'I am sorry for that stone,' thought Otter, "'for doubtless it has been whole for many years, and is at this moment only little pieces.' A third time he repeated his experiment, choosing the heaviest rock that he could move. This messenger also leaped into the air at the narrowest portion of the bridge, then passed on in safety to the slope of snow beyond. A strange place, thought Otter, and I pray that it may never be my lot to ride one of those stone horses. Then he turned down the mountain again, for the afternoon was advancing. When he reached the entrance to the river bed, sunset was at hand. For a while he sat watching the fading light and eating some more roots which he had gathered. Then he crawled into the passage and commenced his darksome journey toward the home of the dead water-dweller, though what he was to do when he got there he did not know. No accident befell him, and in due course he arrived safely in the den, his journey being much facilitated by the staff he bore, which enabled him to feel his way like a blind man. Creeping to the edge of the pool, he listened to its turmoil, for the shadows were gathering so fast that with some ghost-like shapes of foam accepted, he could not even see the surface of the water. "'If I go in there, how can I get out again?' Otter thought sadly. "'After all, perhaps I should have done better to return while it was still light, for then, by the help of my staff and the rope, I might have made shift to climb the overhanging ledge of rock, but to try this now were madness. I will go back and sit in the cave with the ghost of the god and his dead till morning comes again, though I do not crave their company. So he retreated a few paces and sat in silence near the tail of the dead crocodile. After a while, loneliness took hold of him. He tried to sleep and could not for it seemed to Otter that he saw eyes staring at him from the depths of the cave, and heard dead men whispering to each other tales of their dreadful ends. Moment by moment his fears grew upon him, for Otter was very superstitious. Now he fancied that he could distinguish the head of the reptile limbed in fire, and resting on the edge of the rock as he had seen it that morning. Doubtless, he thought. This monster is a devil, and has come to life again to be revenged upon me. Wow! I liked him better when he was in the flesh than now that he has turned himself to fire. Then, to comfort himself, he began to talk aloud, saying, Otter, unlucky that you are, why did you not die at once, instead of living on to be tormented by ghosts? 
Perhaps your master, the boss, whom alone you love, is dead already and waits for you to come serve him. You are very tired. Say now, Otter, would it not be well if you took that rope which is about your middle and hanged yourself? Thus you too would become a ghost and be able to do battle with them in their own fashion. And he groaned loudly. Then of a sudden he grew fearful indeed. The short wool stood up upon his head, his teeth chattered, and as he said afterwards, his very nose seemed to grow cold with terror. For as he sat, he heard, or seemed to hear, a voice speaking to him from the air, and that voice was his master's. Otter, otter, said the voice. He made no answer. He was too frightened. Otter, is that you? whispered the voice again. Then he spoke. Yes, boss, it is I. I know that you are dead and call me. Give me one minute till I can undo my rope and I will kill myself and come to you. <laughs> Thank you, Otter, said the voice with a ghastly attempt at a laugh. But if it is all the same, I would much rather that you came alive. Yes, boss, and I too would rather stop alive. But being alive, how can I join you who are dead? You fool, I am not dead, said Leonard. Then, boss, how is it you speak out of the air? Come near to me that I may touch you and be comforted. I cannot, Otter. I am bound and in a prison above you. There is a hole in the floor, and if you have a rope, as I heard you say, perhaps you could climb up to me. Now the dwarf began to understand. Rising, he stretched the long staff he had brought with him high above his head, and found to his delight that he could touch the roof of the cave. Presently the point of the staff ceased to press upon the rock. Is the place here, boss? said Otter. It is here. But you must throw the stick up like a spear through the hole, for I am tied and cannot put out my hand to take it. Stay a while, boss. First I must make the line fast to it. Good, but be swift, for I am in danger. Hurriedly, Otter undid the hide rope from about his middle, knotting it securely to the center of the stick. Then, some five feet below the stick, he made a loop large enough for a man to place his foot in, and having ascertained the exact situation of the opening in the roof of the cave, he hurled the staff upwards and jerked at the line. It is fixed, whispered Leonard from above. Now come up if you can. The dwarf required no second invitation. Seizing the rope as high as he could reach above his head, he began to drag himself up, hand over hand. No easy feat, for the hide cord was thin and cut his fingers and his right leg round which he had twisted it to get a better purchase. Presently, however, he succeeded in setting his foot in the loop he had prepared, when he found that his head and shoulders were in the hole, and that by reaching upwards he could grasp the staff which lay across it. The rest was easy, and within half a minute he lay gasping at his master's side. "'Have you a knife, Otter?' "'Yes, boss.' My small one, the big ones are down there. I will tell you that story by and by. Never mind the story now, Otter. My hands are tied behind my back. Feel for the lashings and cut them. Then give me the knife that I may free my legs. Otter obeyed, and presently Leonard rose up and stretched himself with a sigh of relief. Where is the shepherdess, boss? There, in the next cell. They separated me from her and since then I have been dangled by the legs over that hole bound and gagged, I think, in order to persuade her to consent to something or other by the sight of my danger, for doubtless she was placed where she could see all. Then they left me, and I managed to spit out the gag, but I could not undo the cords. I expect they will soon be back again. Then had we better not fly, boss. I have found a passage that leads to the mountains. How can we fly and leave the shepherdess, Otter? Since I have been held down the hole, only two men have visited me from time to time, for they think me helpless. Let us seize these men when they come in and take their knives, for we are unarmed. Then we can think. Also, we shall have their keys. 
Yes, boss, we may do that. You take the staff, it is stout. And what will you use? asked Leonard. Fear not, boss, do these men bear lights? Yes, then in two minutes I will make me a weapon. And untying the hide rope from the stick, he began to fumble with it busily. Now I am ready, boss, he said presently. Where shall we stand? Here, answered Leonard, leading him to the door. We will crouch in the shadow, one on either side of this door, and when the priests have entered and closed it, and begin to look round for me, then we can spring upon them. Only, Otter, there must be no bungling, and no noise. I think that there will be none, boss. They will be too frightened to cry at first, and after that, they will become dumb. Otter, whispered Leonard as they stood in the dark. Did you kill the water-dweller? Yes, yes, boss, he chuckled in answer. I caught him with the hook I made ready. But he did not die easily, boss, and if I had not been able to swim well, he would have drowned me. I heard something of it from Nam, said Leonard. You are a wonderful fellow, Otter. Oh, boss, it was no valor of mine. When I saw his eyes, I was horribly afraid. Only I thought how gladly you would have attacked him had you been there. And what a coward you would hold me. Could you have seen me shivering like a little girl before a big lizard? And these thoughts gave me courage. Oh, that is all very well, replied Leonard, and suddenly added, Hush, be ready. As he spoke, the door opened, and two great priests came through it, one of them bearing a candle. He who bore the light turned to shut the door, for he suspected nothing. Then, at one and the same instant, Leonard, emerging from the shadow, dealt the first priest a blow upon the head with his staff, which stunned, if it did not kill him, for he fell like an ox beneath the pole-axe, while Otter, standing where he was, dexterously cast his hide-rope about the throat of the second man, and drew the noose tight with a jerk that brought him to the earth. In twenty seconds it was all over. The men, who were the same that had held Leonard suspended in the oubliette, lay senseless or dead, and the dwarf and his master were engaged in possessing themselves of their knives and keys by the light of the candle, which, though it had fallen to the ground, fortunately remained burning. "'That was well done, Otter,' said Leonard, "'and I am not ashamed to have done it, for these devils kicked me when I was bound.' Now we are armed and have the keys. What next? Just then, Otter sprang to his feet, crying, Look out, boss! Here are more! Leonard glanced up to see, and behold, the second door in the cell was opened, and through it came Juana, Olfan, Nam, Soa, and three other men. For a moment there was silence, till one of the captains cried out, See! Child the God has come back, and already he claims his victims. And he pointed to the two priests. Then followed a scene of confusion, for even Olfan and Nam were amazed at what seemed to them little short of a miracle, while Leonard and Juana had eyes for each other only, and the three captains stared at Otter like men who think they see a ghost. But one person in that company kept her head, and that person was Soa. The captain who guarded her had loosed his hold. Silently she slunk back into the shadows, and unseen of any, vanished through the doorway by which she had been led in. A minute passed, and Otter, thinking that he heard a noise without that door of the cell whereby the two priests had entered, which had been left ajar, went to it and tried to open it. Just then, also, Olfan missed Soa. "'Where is the woman, Nam's daughter?' he cried. It seems that she has escaped and shut us in, king, answered Otter calmly. Followed by the others, Olfan sprang first to the door of the cell where they were, and then through the connecting passage to that of Juana's prison. It was true. Both were closed. It matters nothing. Here are the keys, said Leonard. They will not avail us, deliverer, answered Olfan, for these doors are made fast without by bars of stone thicker than my arm. Now this woman has gone to rouse the college of priests, 
who will presently come to kill us like caged rats. Quick, said Leonard. Waste no time. We must break down the doors. Yes, deliverer, said Nam mockingly. Batter them in with your fists. Cut through the stonework with your spears. Surely they are nothing to your strength. Chapter 37 I Am Repaid, Queen Their position was terrible. Soa had escaped, and Soa knew everything. Moreover, she was mad with hatred and longing for revenge on Leonard, Otter, and in a less degree on Ulfan the king. Had they succeeded in revealing themselves to the people, all might have gone well, for Otter and Juana would certainly have been accepted as true gods who had passed and repassed the gates of death scatheless. But now the affair was different. Soa would tell the truth to the priests— who, even if they were inclined to desert her father in his extremity, must strike for their own sakes and for that of their order, which was the most powerful among the people of the mist, and had no desire to be placed under the yoke of secular authority. It was clear to all of them that if they could not escape, they must fall very shortly into the hands of the priests, who, knowing everything, would not dare to allow them to appeal to the army, or to the superstition of the outside public. The only good card they held was the possession of the person of Nam, though it remained to be seen how far this would help them. To begin with, there are always some ready to step into the shoes of a high priest. Also, Nam had blundered so extensively in the matter of the false gods that the greater part of the fraternity whom he had involved in his mistakes would not sorrow to see the last of him. These facts— which were perfectly well known to Ulfan and guessed at by his companions, sharpened their sense of the danger in which they had been placed by Soa's resource and cunning. Indeed, their escape was a matter of life and death to them, and to many hundreds of their adherents. If once they could reach the temple and proclaim the re-arisen gods to the people, all would go well, for the army would suffice to keep the priests from using violence. But if they failed in this, their death warrant was already signed, for none of them would ever be heard of again. No wonder, then, that they hurled themselves despairingly upon the stubborn doors. For an hour or more they labored, but all in vain. The massive timbers of hard wood, six inches or more in thickness, could scarcely be touched by their knives and spears nor might their united strength serve even to stir the stone bolts and bars that held them fast, and they had nothing that could be used as a battering ram. It is useless, said Leonard at last, throwing down his knife in despair. This wood is like iron. It would take us a week to cut through it. Why not try fire, boss? suggested Otter. Accordingly, they attempted to burn down the doors, with the result that they nearly stifled themselves in the smoke and made but little impression upon the woodwork. At length they gave up the experiment. It was a failure, and sat looking blankly at each other as they listened to certain sounds which reached them from the passages without, telling them that their enemies were gathering there. "'Has anyone a suggestion to make?' said Leonard at last. If not, I think this game is about played. Bus, answered Otter, I have a word to say. We can all go down through that hole by which I came up to you. The water-dweller is dead. I slew him with my own hand, so there is nothing to fear from him. Beneath the hole runs a tunnel, and that tunnel leads to the slope of the mountain above. At the top of this slope, is an ice bridge by which men may reach a fair country if they have a mind to. Then, for heaven's sakes, let us cross it, put in Juana. I have seen that bridge, said Ulfon, while the captains stared wonderingly at the man whose might had prevailed against the ancient snake. But never yet have I heard of the traveler who dared set his foot upon it. It is dangerous, but it can be crossed. "'replied Otter. "'At the least, 
It is better to try it than to stay here to be murdered by the medicine men. I think that we will go, Leonard, said Juana. If I am to die, I wish to do so in the open air. Only what is to become of Nam? And perhaps Olfan and the captains would prefer to stop here? Nam will go with us wherever we go, answered Leonard grimly. We have a long score to settle with that gentleman. As for Olfan and his captains, they must please themselves. What will you do, Olfan? asked Juana, speaking to him for the first time since the scene in the other prison. It seems, Queen, he answered with downcast eyes, that I have sworn to defend you to the last. And this I will do the more readily because now my life is of little value. As for my brethren here, I think, like you, that they will choose to die in the open rather than wait to be murdered by the priests. The three captains nodded and assent to his words. Then they all set to work. First they took food and drink, of which there was an ample supply in the other cell, and hurriedly swallowing some of it, disposed the rest about their persons as best they could, for they foresaw that even if they succeeded in escaping, it was likely they would go hungry for many days. Then Leonard wrapped Juana in a goatskin cloak, which he took from one of the fallen priests, placing the second cloak over his own shoulders, for he knew that it would be bitterly cold on the mountains. Last they tied Nam's arms behind him and deprived him of his knife, so that the old man might work none of them a sudden injury in his rage. All being prepared, Otter made his rope fast to the staff and descended rapidly to the cave below. As his feet touched the ground, the priests began to batter upon the doors of the cell with beams of wood or some such heavy instruments. "'Quick, Juana,' said Leonard. "'Sit in this noose and hold the line. We will let you down. Hurry. Those doors cannot stand for long.' Another minute, and she was beside Otter, who stood beneath, a candle in his hand. Then Leonard came down. "'By the way, Otter,' he said, "'have you seen anything of the jewels that are supposed to be here?' "'There is a bag yonder by the water-dweller's bed, boss,' answered the dwarf carelessly. "'But I did not trouble to look into it. What is the use of the red stones to us now?' "'None, but they may be of use afterwards if we get away.' "'Yes, boss, if we get away.' answered Otter, bethinking himself of the ice bridge. Well, we can pick it up as we go along. Just then Nam arrived, having been let down by Olfan and the captains, and stood glaring round him, not without awe, for neither he nor any of his brethren had ever dared to visit the sacred home of the snake god. Then the captains descended, and last of all came Olfan. We have little time to spare, deliverer, said the king. The door is falling. And as he spoke, they heard a great crash above. Otter jerked furiously at the rope, till by good luck one end of the stake slid over the edge of the hole and it fell among them. No need to leave this line for them to follow by, he said. Besides, it may be useful. At that moment, something appeared looking through the hole. It was the head of one of the pursuing priests. Nam saw it and took his opportunity. The false gods escaped by the tunnel to the mountains, he screamed. And with them the false king, follow, and fear not, the water-dweller is dead. Think not of me and Nam, but slay them. With an exclamation, Otter struck him heavily across the mouth, knocking him backwards. But the mischief was done, for a voice cried in answer, we hear you, father, and will find ropes and follow. Then they started. One moment they paused to look at the huge bulk of the dead crocodile. This dwarf is a god in truth, cried one of the captains, for no man could have wrought such a deed. Forward, said Leonard, we have no time to lose. Now they were by the crocodile's bed and among the broken bones of his victims. The bag, Otter, where is the bag? asked Leonard. Here, boss, answered the dwarf, dragging it from the moldering skeleton of the unlucky priest, who, having offended the newfound god, had been let down through the hole to lay it in its hiding place, 
and to perish in the jaws of the water-dweller. Leonard took the bag, and opening its mouth, which was drawn tight with a running strip of hide, he peeped into it while Otter held down the candle that he might see. From its depths came a glimmer of red and blue light that glowed like the heart of some dull fire. It is the treasure, he said in a low tone of exultation. At last the luck has turned. How much does it weigh? said Juana as they sped onwards. Some seven or eight pounds, I should say, he answered still exultantly. Seven or eight solid pounds of gems, the finest in the world. Then give it to me, she said. I have nothing else to carry. You may have to use both your hands presently. True, he answered, and passed the string of the bag over her head. Now they went on up the smooth, sloping bed of the stream, suffering little inconvenience except from the cold of the water that flowed about their ankles. This stream has risen a little bass since I passed it this morning, said Otter. Doubtless this day's sun has melted some snow at its source. Tomorrow we might not have been able to travel this road. Very likely, answered Leonard. I told you that our luck has turned at last. Twenty minutes more, and they reached the mouth of the tunnel, and passing between the blocks of ice, found themselves upon the mountainside. But as it chanced, the face of the moon was hidden by clouds, which is often the case in this country at the beginning of the spring season, for whereas in winter the days are almost invariably misty and the nights clear, in spring and summer these atmospheric conditions are frequently reversed. So dark was it indeed that it proved impossible to attempt the ascent of the mountain until day broke, since to do so would be to run the risk of losing themselves and very possibly of breaking their necks among its numerous clefts and precipices. After a minute's hasty discussion, they set to work to fill up the mouth of the tunnel, or rather the cracks between the blocks of ice that already encumbered it, with such material as lay to hand, namely lumps of frozen snow, gravel, and a few large stones which they were fortunate enough to find in the immediate vicinity, for the darkness rendered it impossible to search for these at a distance. While they were thus engaged, they heard the voices of priests speaking on the further side of their somewhat inefficient barrier, and worked harder than ever, thinking that the moment of attack had come. To their astonishment, however, the sound of talking died away. "'Now where have they gone?' said Leonard. "'To climb the cliff by another path and cut us off?' "'I think not, Deliverer,' answered Olfan, "'for I know of no such path. "'I think that they have gone to bring heavy beams "'by means of which they will batter down the ice walls.' "'Still there is such a path, King,' said one of the captains, "'for I myself have often climbed it when I was young.' "'searching for snow-flowers to bring to her whom I courted in those days.' "'Can you find it now, friend?' asked Olfan eagerly. "'I do not forget a road that I have trod,' said the captain. "'But it is one not easy to follow.' "'See now, shepherdess,' said Olfan after thinking a while. "'Shall we take this man for a guide and return down the cliff to the city? "'For there, unless fate is against us, we may find friends among the soldiers and fight out this battle with the priests. No, no, answered Juana almost passionately. I would rather die than go back to that dreadful place to be murdered at last. Do you go if you will, Olfan, and leave us to take our chance. That I cannot do, queen, for I am sworn to a certain service, he said proudly. But hearken, my friend, follow this path of which you speak. If you can do so in the darkness and find help, then return swiftly to this spot where I and your two comrades will hold the priests at bay. Perchance you will not find us living, but this I charge you. If we are dead, give it out that the gods have left the land because they were so evilly dealt with, and rouse up the people to fall upon the priests and make an end of them once and forever, for thus only shall they win peace and safety. Making no reply, the man shook Olfan and the other two captains by the hand, saluted Juana, and vanished into the darkness. Then they all sat down in front of the mouth of the tunnel to wait and watch, 
and very glad were they of the goatskin cloaks which had belonged to the priests, for as the night drew toward the dawn, the cold became so bitter that they could scarcely bear it, but were obliged to rise and stamp to and fro to keep their wet feet from freezing. Leonard, said Juana, you do not know what passed after Nam trapped you. And she told him all the tale. When she had finished, he rose, and taking Ulfan by the hand, said, King, I thank you. May fortune deal as well with you as you have dealt with me and mine. Say no more, deliverer, answered Ulfan hastily. I have but done my duty and fulfilled my oath, though at times <sighs> the path of duty is hard for a man to follow. And he looked toward Twana and sighed. Leonard sat down and was silent, but many a time, both then and in after days, did he wonder at the nobleness of mind of this savage king, which enabled him, under circumstances so cruel, to conquer his own passion and show himself willing to lay down life and throne together that he might carry out his vow to protect the woman who had brought him so much pain and now left him forever with his successful rival. At length, looking at the mountain peak above them, they saw its snows begin to blush red with the coming of the dawn, and just then also they heard many voices talking within the tunnel, and caught glimpses of lights flashing through the openings in their rude fortifications. The priests, who no doubt had been delayed by the procuring of the timbers which were to serve as battering rams, and the labor necessary to drag them up the steep incline of the tunnel, had returned and in force. A few more minutes and a succession of dull thuds on the further side of the ice wall told the little band of defenders that their enemies were at work. The light grows quickly, deliverer, said Olfan quietly. I think that now you may begin to ascend the mountain and take no harm. What shall we do with this man? asked Leonard, pointing to Nam. Kill him, said Otter. No, not yet a while answered Olfan. Take this. And he handed Leonard the spear of the third captain, who had left it when he started down the mountain, fearing it might encumber him, and drive him along with you at its point. Should we be overpowered, you may buy your lives at the price of his. But should we hold them back and you escape, then do with him what you will. I know what I would do, muttered Otter glowering at the priest. "'And now farewell,' went on Olfan in the same calm voice. "'Bring more ice, comrades, or stone if you can see any. The well cracks.' Leonard and Otter wrung the king's hand in silence, but Juana could not leave him thus, for her heart was melted at the thought of all his goodness. "'Forgive me,' she murmured, that I have brought you grief, and as I fear, death to follow grief. The grief you could not help, Queen, and be sure I shall welcome death if he should choose me. Go now, and happiness go with you. May you escape in safety with the bright pebbles which you desire. May you and your husband, the Deliverer, be blessed for many years in each other's love, and when you grow old together, from time to time, Think kindly of that well man who worshipped you while you were young and laid down his life to save you. Juana listened, and tears sprang to her eyes. Then of a sudden she seized the great man's hand and kissed it. I am repaid, queen, he said, and perchance your husband will not be jealous. Now go, and swiftly. As he spoke, a small portion of the wall fell outwards, and the fierce face of a priest appeared at the opening. With a shout, Olfan lifted his broad spear and thrust. The priest fell backwards, and just then the captains arrived with the stones and stopped the hole. Then the three turned and fled up the mountainside, Otter driving Nam before him with blows and curses, till at last the old man fell and lay on his face groaning, nor could the dwarf's blows, which were not of the softest, force him to rise. "'Get up, you treacherous dog,' said Leonard, threatening him with a spear. "'Then you must lose my arms, deliverer,' 
answered the priest. I am very weak, and I cannot travel up this mountain with my hands bound behind me. Surely you have nothing to fear from one aged and unarmed man. Not much at present, I suppose, muttered Leonard, though we have had enough to fear from you in the past. And taking his knife, he cut loose the lashings. While he did so, Juana turned and looked behind her. Far below them, she could see the forms of Ulfan and his companions standing shoulder to shoulder, and even catch the gleams of light reflected from their spears, for now the sun was rising. Beneath them again she saw the grass-grown roofs of that earthly hell, the city of the people of the mist, and the endless plain beyond, through which the river wandered like a silver serpent. There also was the further portion of the huge wall of the temple built by unknown hands in forgotten years, and rising above the edge of that gap in the cliff, through which she was looking, appeared a black mass which she knew to be the head and shoulders of the hideous colossus on whose dizzy brow she had sat in that strange hour when the shouting thousands thundered a welcome to her as their goddess, and whence her most beloved friend Francisco had been hurled to his cruel death. Oh, what I have suffered in that place, she thought to herself. How have I lived through it, I wonder? And yet, I have won something. And she glanced at Leonard, who was driving Nam toward her. And if only we survive, and I am the means of enabling him to fulfill his vow and buy back his home with these jewels— I shall not regret all that I have endured to win them. Yes, even when he is no longer so very much in love, he must always be grateful to me, for few women will have done as much for their husbands. Then Nam staggered past, hissing curses, while the untiring otter rained blows upon his back, and losing sight of Ulfan and his companions, they went on in safety, till they reached the neck and saw the ice-bridge glittering before them, and the wide fields of snow beyond. Well, several things struck me. First and foremost, I still love Ulfan. What a guy, right? I certainly hope that he lives through this. I'm not sure how we'll figure it out later, but I'm just going to say he lived through it. Let's just say that if we don't hear anything further. Otter, again, love that otter. Practical to the bone. And I have to give it to Nam. I mean, you know, this guy, he just keeps pitching, right? He is got his hands tied behind him. And he's, oh, no, I'll just take a beating. Just untie my hands. Well, do we trust him? Oh, no, we do not trust him. I don't care how old and beat up he is. He's a leathery, wiry guy, in my mind. And I just feel like he is going to turn on them any second, especially after that little stunt he pulled, yelling up through the hole. Don't worry, the crocodile's dead. <sighs> I hate him, but I have to admire the character. And... And we know we haven't seen the last of Soa. She is going to throw a monkey wrench in the works, you know. I just don't know how or where. Also, we are coming up on the scene that made me want to read this book to you guys in the first place. Next time. And we only have two more episodes left. I was thinking we had only two now, but actually this was the third from the last. So two more left then we'll have to start something new. And as I said, I may do some short stories first. But before we get to any short stories, the end of this still chock full of adventure. Two episodes or not, H. Ryder Haggard's taken us to the limit. Good for him. Let's see, in other news, Scott Danielson and I, at A Good Story is Hard to Find, discussed the movie Noah, which I liked a lot more than I thought I would. A lot more. So I can recommend that. Although <laughs> Scott liked it a lot less. He watched it once and liked it and watched it a second time, didn't like it as much. Why? 
You'll have to listen and find out. And I have not been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, as I said before, several episodes ago. For some reason, I'm really hooked on audiobooks, and I just finished listening to Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore, which I read a few months ago, maybe a month and a half ago, actually. And I had just listened to kind of a light, funny book, and I wanted something similar. And when I was reading Mr. Penumbra, I kept thinking, wow, this would make such a great audiobook if they have the right narrator. And they had the right narrator. I really enjoyed it. In fact, I enjoyed listening so much that I had to add another star to my rating. So it went from three to four stars with that second listening. Mm. So if you're looking for a light, enjoyable quest type book that's got books and Google and adventure and everything, try that. And let's see, I guess really not much else is going on. It's going to be Labor Day weekend. I'm looking forward to a three-day weekend. And thanks to my husband having his gallbladder surgery and that sort of thing, we haven't been doing much grilling, and I'm kind of in the mood for that. Although in Texas, it's, you know, 10 months of the year, easily, maybe more, you can grill. But there's something about that summer atmosphere that makes it more legit, right? Yeah, so... We'll do some grilling, watch some movies, maybe Hannah will come over, which is always fun. In fact, she's going to come over tonight, an unusual midweek visit, but she wants to finally start using the supplies that we got for her to knit a pair of socks. She's never done that before, so I'm going to help her get started. I hate that part. I hate connecting those three sets of stitches in the round. But once that's done, it's really easy. And it makes me think, I actually have a pair of socks that I began and then forgot about. So I think I'm going to pull those out. So that's all I've got, which is, you know, a lot of nothing. <laughs> what are you going to do over this weekend? Or what have you been doing? Or what short stories would you like to hear? Or what books would you like to hear? Let me know. You can find the blog for the podcast at hcforgottenclassics.blogspot.com. You can email me at julie at glyphnet, G-L-Y-P-H-N-E-T dot com. And of course, there is always iTunes where a review never goes amiss. They make me happy every time I look at them. And of course, you know the other thing that makes me happy. When you come by to listen, I appreciate it very much, or I wouldn't be reading this book out loud and having such a great adventurous time. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.